0: Good morning, everyone. I'm coming through. This, this is good. This is good. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, welcome everybody online as well to our upcoming. This is, this is an eventful time because it's really upcoming to, to Christmas and New Year's and time off and spending time with family. And as, as I was seeking God on what he would like us. To hear the message that he would like us to receive the interesting thing that came up was a festival that we do not celebrate here in the church and it was ironic I said Lord okay Christmas is coming and you want me to talk about something that we don't celebrate in the church that somebody else celebrates and I really felt the Lord saying, yes, this is, this is what you're talking about. How many of you know of another festival that's going on right now? So I hear Hanukkah. That's right, Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the feast of dedication as it's described in the Bible. And one of the wonderful things that I've discovered in really going into Hanukkah Is actually how important it is for us as Christians to know about Hanukkah and how much it ties into Christmas how much it ties into Christmas and so today I have for the very first time and I've always known a little bit about Hanukkah but for the first time I've really had an appreciation and so over the next two parts today being the first part we're going to explore what Hanukkah means and how we as a church can embrace Hanukkah as a way for us to prepare our hearts and our minds as we get to Christmas. Because I think that it is something wonderful, it is something miraculous that happened, and it's something that we can take stock of. And you may ask why. Well, we are growing into a society and a culture Where really Christmas as we know it is completely being changed. Completely being changed. It used to be that Christmas was something normative, right? It was something that everybody did. Now you have people questioning, should you play Christmas songs? Should you have a Christmas tree? There's even some places even saying, should you even have Santa Claus? We see that our society is more and more becoming less and less oriented towards Christmas. And what does that mean to us? What should we do about that? How should we express Christmas? And I think Hanukkah has the answer. I really do. Hanukkah has the answer for us. To understand maybe how we as Christians can really be prepared to express what we believe and what we think. Now, Hanukkah starts tonight. It's eight days. It starts tonight. It's actually nine days, but it's really based on an eight-day miracle that happened a long time ago. And so today, this evening, it starts because for the, for the day, for the Jewish person, the day actually starts... After dinner all the way through the night up until dinner the next day that is the day and so today tonight is the first day and tonight is actually when they actually take the first candle take the first candle light the candle and then they light all the other candles and so this celebration goes on for a while and what may we may know about Hanukkah commercially, well, we may know that it it spans the the eight days, we know that children play with these little dry dolls, I don't know if you guys know about it, but these little spinning tops that they put, Um, we know that they have chocolate that they're given money, Um, they make latkes, which are these potato patties, all these things are things that you might have heard about Hanukkah. But the, probably the one thing that you remember about Hanukkah is this menorah, you know. And this menorah, is, as we know it, is what in the Jewish temple and what what you'll see in in Jewish synagogues is a lamp stand with seven lights. But on Hanukkah, it has nine. It is different, and we see this picture here. There are nine. The standard was seven. Throughout all of Jewish history, it was seven lights. But then when Hanukkah came, they changed it to nine. And the seven represented the number of creation. The completion of creation in God. It's it's a divine number, just like three is. But on Hanukkah, there is nine. And please notice that the middle one is actually taller than all the others. And when they, when they go to celebrate, they actually, this is, this is what happens. They have to put the candles on a certain way and light them a certain way day by day. And the way that they, they put them on is they go from right to left in sequence and then they light them from left to right every day. And every day they're supposed to have them on for 30 minutes minimum. But the first candle to be lit on the first day is the middle candle. It's the Shama candle. It is the candle that serves all the other candles. And you can only use that Shama candle to light all the other candles. And so as you light each candle each day, you've got to light the Shama and then the Shama lights the first on the second day, you light the Shama, then the Shama lights the first and the second. And then, the, and then on the third day, you light the Shama, and then the Shama lights the first, second, and third. You are never to take the eight lower lights out of their stand. Only the Shama allowed to take out a stand. Even because this is back to times before electricity, if you were using this lamp, and let's say a light in your house went out, You are not allowed to use any of those candles except for the middle candle. The middle candle is the source of light for all of those candles and it is the source of light for any other candle that you want to light anywhere in your room, anywhere in your your house, your synagogue. The Shama candle was the servant candle. So, Why is this so important? Well, before I get into the story around Hanukkah, I want to exhibit how important this story is to the Jewish people. Because ironically speaking, it's not found in the Old Testament as a feast. Nowhere in the Old Testament you will find Hanukkah. It is such an important festival to the Jewish people. I was listening to a a Jewish Christian pastor talking about his father's experience on Hanukkah. And this was back in the time when Nazi Germany was starting to take control in Germany and Jewish people were starting to see that they needed to escape. And the, the Germans were starting to actually take Jewish people imprisoned them and send them off to concentration camps and so the Jewish people were trying to get out of Germany and his father basically took his family on a train and they were trying to get out of Germany and I believe it was Switzerland and as they were trying to get out on this train they got stopped at the border And when they got stopped at the border, the German soldiers were coming on and they were going cabin by cabin searching everyone's documents. Searching those documents to see who they were, if those documents were real or forged. But if you were a Jew, you were to be taken off the train and immediately sent off to a concentration camp. And this family knew that this is what was about to happen. And they knew. And the father in a prayerful attitude was contemplating what should he do with his entire family in that cabin and their lives and their future hanging on a thread. All of a sudden, the lights went out. The lights went out on the train. The lights went out in the train station. Everything went dark. Unexpectedly. And at that moment, the father could have thought, maybe this is our chance to run and escape. But he didn't do that. You see, it was Hanukkah. And you know what the father did? This is what every Jewish person does on Hanukkah. They take the lamp, and when they're lighting the lamp, it's supposed to be by a window so everybody can see. And what he did in the darkness is he took out the lamp, stand, filled it with the candles and lit all the candles and put it by the window of the cabin. And you see, the whole family thought he, he had basically condemned them to death. Here you're putting a Jewish candle and lamp stand out on the window by the train station where all the German and Nazi soldiers can see. Everything's dark and you can imagine as you're standing on that platform and look and you're a soldier and you're looking at it, everything's dark the train is dark everything's dark around you and all of a sudden you see this lampstand with nine candles shining Everybody thought that was it. But the father really felt in his heart at that time that he needed to honor God. In the face of danger, he needed to honor what God had asked of him and expected of him as a follower. That God was his light. And that he needed to put that light by the window because that's what they did it's a symbol that God is light so all of a sudden the soldiers start coming in onto the train they knock on the cabin door and everybody thought that was it opens the door looks in starts to speak to them in German and they're German and the soldier says this wow how smart you are to bring a travel candle lamp with you on your trip it is dark all over the place and we have to check everybody's documents and we can't can i borrow that please this is a real story so the soldiers took that lamp and went throughout the whole train Looking at his documents, going, okay, can I see your documents? Okay, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, that checks out. Okay, looking at all the documents, and then they returned it to this Jewish man and his family in this cabin, and they gave it back to him and say, "Thank you for being so wise," and they didn't even bother checking his documents. Closed the cabin door, and they escaped. This is a true story. That is how important Hanukkah is to the Jewish people. And I believe that is how important it should be for us as Christians too. So let's dig in and find out what's all about. this is all about. Amen? Amen. Alright. So I already told you, it's not part of the Bible, right? You can go in Old Testament. I mean the Old Testament Bible. It's not there, right? It's something that happened in about 168 A.D., In the intertestament period, right? So the Catholic Bible has 1st and 2nd Maccabees. I grew up Catholic, so I know that that's in there. It came from the Greek version of of the Old Testament. But for us, we follow the Hebrew tradition. We don't have those books. For us, those books are historical. Like Josephus and other books, they're fine. They're just historical. They're not God-breathed. But they're there. And it talks about what happened. Also, we've learned from the Talmud, which is a Jewish book, about what happened in the temple. And all these things together tell us a very, very interesting story. And you might say, well, Julio, how appropriate is it, if it isn't one of the feasts that God actually put in the Bible, how appropriate is it for us as Christians to learn about it? You might be asking that question. You might be thinking, Maybe that's why we've never actually celebrated. Just because it's historical, just because it's important to a certain people, is it important to us? Well, there is one place in the Bible that talks about it, and it's not in the Old Testament. Ironically, it's not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Isn't that strange? That a Jewish festival like this doesn't exist in the Old Testament but exists in the New Testament John chapter 10 verses 22 to 23 let's go there I'm going to read out of the the, the tree of life version because it's, it's a messianic Jewish um, translation but you'll see here on, on the thing on the screen as well then came Hanukkah You see, Feast of Dedication. That's Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem. And it says, And Jesus was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. That's it. During Hanukkah, Jesus went to the temple. Why would John put this festival That is never talked about anywhere else in the Old Testament into this one place. Because he's trying to tell us that there's something important going on. You see, there's something that happened on Hanukkah that is important. And just because it wasn't a declared feast in the Old Testament doesn't mean that God wasn't in what happened at Hanukkah because if Jesus took the time to go to the temple at Hanukkah then that means that Hanukkah meant something and was something that was God inspired let's dig into this so how did Hanukkah happen how did Hanukkah happen well this is what happened Antiochus the third was the emperor of the Greco-Syrian empire and it was an offshoot of the empire that Alexander the Great had created. And it had, basically after his death, it had collapsed into these mini-empires. And so the Greco-Syrian Empire controlled Israel at this point in time. And Antiochus III actually allowed the Jewish people to have their temple, to have their way of life, and to do what they wanted. But he passed away. And one of his sons came to power, Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV. And Antiochus IV, well, he was a little bit of a madman. And he basically wanted to push the Greco culture on everybody. And he also heard that the temple in Jerusalem wasn't a Greek-oriented temple. And it had a lot of gold and other things. So he had it in his mind, hey, I got these people who are my subjects who are not following our tradition and our gods, and they got a lot of money that I need. So he basically sent his entire army up to Jerusalem. They came in. They basically fought their way in, came into the temple, and they basically took over. Took anything that's of value, and then he had his army set up a, the Zeus a statue of Zeus in the temple defiling the temple of God by putting another God in there and guess what he knew that the Jews for the Jews the pig was not something that they liked very much right it wasn't kosher it was forbidden so you know what he did he sacrificed pigs to the Zeus in the temple of God And then he made all the priests eat the pig's meat. So already you have a Jewish nation under shock. A year later, he goes a step further. He says that the Bible, the Old Testament Bible, had to stop being used completely stopped being used and that all of the practices were to be eliminated. And he sent his army from town to town to destroy the Bible and to force people not to worship God. For them to worship Zeus, to sacrifice pigs and eat the pygmy. So here's this army coming through every single town. And then finally in one town somebody by Judah of Maccabee said, no, we're not going to allow this. And basically he started the entire revolt. And this is what the first miracle that happened is that a small nation, and we've seen this in the Bible, a small army of rebels who refused to defile themselves, to worship Zeus, fought back against an empire. And guess what? They beat them. They were probably outnumbered something like 10 to 1. But they beat them, they slayed them, they kicked them out, and they liberated Jerusalem. And they got rid of the statue and everything. But here's the problem. The problem was that in the temple it had been defiled and they needed to rededicate the temple that was their heart's desire was to bring back the temple of God and here was the problem all the oil that was in the temple of God had been defiled and the oil is very important in a Jewish temple it has to be holy it cannot be defiled But they found one jar or enough oil for one day. That's all they had. And so what could they do? They needed to light the menorah in the temple. They needed to light all the bowls in the temple. They needed to keep that going every day. It was their commandment from the Lord to do that in the temple. But they only had one day's worth of oil that was undefiled. So by faith, They used that one day's oil. And they knew that it would take a week or more for them to actually get more oil that was holy and undefiled for them to use in the temple. Well, here's what happened on the second day. Miraculously, there was oil for the second day. And they used it on the second day. And then on the third day, the oil appeared again. They had used it all up and then it appeared again on the fourth day and then the fifth day and then for eight days the oil that was only meant to be for one day lasted all eight days until they could actually get holy oil back into the temple and that is why in the menorah you see the eight days because that was the miracle there was only enough oil for one day and God had taken that one day and made it stretch Does that sound familiar like a story we've heard before? It does, doesn't it? In the Old Testament and the New Testament, how Jesus was able to multiply the fish and the loaves. God is a God of multiplication even when things are scarce. God is a God of faithfulness even when we're up against the odds. And this is what happened, these two miracles. The Jewish people were up against enormous odds. but they stayed faithful, and through that faithfulness, God blessed them and was able to give them what they needed. And so the temple was restored. The temple was restored. And so we come back to here. Here's Jesus coming to celebrate this festival, and he's walking in the colonnade, and here are these Jewish people and, and in the next verse you see they all run up to him and they, they, want him, you know, they, they want him to tell him who he is. Be clear, tell us who you are. You see they're lighting the, you're, they're lighting the, the menorah with the eight candles and Jesus is in the colonnade seeing all of this. And they don't even realize that the person that actually helped them Back Way back when it was Antioch who, who that miracle of the, of the multiplication was actually him. The same person who multiplied the loaves and the fish. It was Jesus. And here we have Christ in the colonnade and all the miracles he did. The multiplication of food, everything. And they still couldn't recognize him. Even at Hanukkah. It's almost like he was appearing there and saying, well, you've seen my miracles. You've seen what I did with the loaves and fish. You've seen the people who have risen from the dead. You've seen the people being healed. You see the blind seeing. And you're still, and here I am at Hanukkah when you're lighting the lights. Don't you see? Are you still blind? And they're all running to him asking, please tell us. Please tell us. Well, here's one thing that I've learned. And I've learned from Hanukkah is this. A lot of times we can stay blind to things because we choose to. We can stay blind to things because we don't address them. And as Christmas is coming, I am seeing something happening in our society that is reminding me that we need to learn from what happened at Hanukkah. We've been, you've been hearing Pastor Dino talk about all the things that are happening. The churches that are abandoning even the word, use of the word sin. There's this guy in this, this progressive church, this guy who actually was studied at the Moody Bible Institute, was baptized, went to a Baptist church, and now is a leader in the progressive Christian Christian church, and he claims that Jesus sinned in Matthew 15. Do you believe that? That Jesus sinned. This is a guy who claims to be a Christian and a pastor, and he claims that Jesus sinned in Matthew 15. How can that be? Well, here's the two things that I've learned from Hanukkah. The first thing is that as the soldiers were coming in and trying to take the Bible away, the people hid the Bible. They hid the Bible. And it reminded me of the story, and I've shared this story with my grandfather. Back in Portugal, you were not allowed to have a Bible. And so somebody gave him a Bible, and he hid it, under his bed under his mattress so people wouldn't find it because he would go to prison if they found it this is the same thing happening the Jewish people as the armies were coming, it was told they would hide and bury the Torah somewhere to keep it safe they never gave up on the Word of God no matter what people said to them the Word of God was so precious that many died rather than giving up the Word of God many died rather than allowing Zeus to be worshipped. Yes, there were some who capitulated, but there were many who didn't. They stood their ground. And if it meant their life, then it was their life that they would have to give. There's going to be a time where you and I are going to be in that situation. And I believe it could be in our lifetime, and if not in our lifetime, the next generation possibly, where they will be faced with persecution And will they have the strength to stand up? Will they have the strength? They will only have the strength if they know the word of God. But here's what I'm seeing, church. This is what I'm seeing that is so dangerous. As we approach Christmas, we tend to sometimes take our eyes off of the fact of what Christmas represents. Christmas represents Jesus Christ leaving the side of his father, leaving all that glory, all that beauty, and taking on a human form for you and I. That is what Christmas represents. And for him, when he saw the people honoring the word of God, why? Because they knew where the truth was. And what do I see in our society? I see, our, I see in our society and I can see it through other churches more and more people reading less. Spending less time in the word. We have busy lives. We go to work. We have to take people here. We have children that go to this and that. and We have, to go, we, we have obligations here and there. And less and less people are reading the word of God. So how do you know In this time where you got people claiming that Jesus sinned in chapter 15 of Matthew, that they're wrong. First of all, it sounds ludicrous. But what if you heard his savvy explanation? Would you be able to defend the truth? Because this isn't the first time that's happened. We've just gone through 20 or 30 years of the name it and claim it teaching that infiltrated the church and thank goodness it's starting to get its way out let me give you an example we have here in in, uh, in the Bible we talk about how let me go to it now John 14 12 to 14 the most talked about scripture that says that if you do this in my name I will do it for you, right? I've heard preachers use this. I've heard televangelists use this. How did this get into, the, into Scripture? That you can go and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, this and that, this and that, and it will be done. If you don't read the Bible and understand it and study it, you wouldn't know that that's actually blasphemy. Yet it infiltrated the church, and many, many people believed it. And then here are some things that I heard afterwards. Well, if it didn't come true, it's because you don't have enough faith. Who's the author of faith? Me? My own self power? My own self will? No, God. I don't have enough faith as if it's mine to own and to exercise. What happened when the father came with his son because he was throwing himself into the fire? What happened when Jesus said, do you have enough faith? And he said, no, I don't. He says, but I need more, and you're the one that can give it to me. Isn't that what happened? He knew who was the author of faith. And here we have in scripture, in John chapter 14, where it says, Jesus said, if you do this in my name, this I will do. So you take these little few words and you take it out. But wait a minute. If you read the entire section, there's something here that gives us a clue. You see, it's whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do. He repeats it twice. Says it the first time, then says for the glory of the Father, then says it the second time. Last week I taught the youth about sandwiches in the Bible, right? It's a way that people in the Bible would write things to emphasize something. Well, here's a sandwich. Repeating things twice and in the middle is the meat. And the meat is to bring glory to the Father. If you go and ask anything in Jesus' name but it doesn't bring glory to the Father, you're not going to get it. You can ask for a million dollars. You can ask to be wealthy. You can ask for a car. You can ask for a healing, but if the healing doesn't bring glory to the Father, you're not going to get it. So it has nothing to do with faith. It has to glorify God first and foremost. But you don't hear them talk about that, do you? But you'd only know that if you studied the Bible and read it. So that when they claim something, when I claim something here today, you should be taking your Bibles out and saying, "Is it really so?" Just because I've said it. Oh, but Julia, you got a master's and a doctorate. Who cares? It means nothing. There are many people out there with doctorates. I mean, I think the guy who actually is talking, saying that Jesus sinned in 15 has a doctorate. That means nothing. He does, right? Yeah. Yeah. It means nothing, guys. It means nothing. All it means is that I took the time to want to seek and study with others. But that doesn't mean that I am right. The Bible, the truth, is what tells me when I'm right. And you need to verify everything that I say here. You need to verify everything that people tell you. The other thing about this scripture if you look at verse 12 it says truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do you see that right before he says if you ask anything in my name he's saying that if you truly are my followers you will do what I do would Jesus ask for a million dollars did Jesus heal everybody or did he heal select few One other thing, this might be a little bit of a change, but this is something that we know about the Jewish and Hebrew tradition. Is that usually when you say in my name, and it is written that way, it actually means by my character, the way I would do things, which is why in script you have in verse 12. So if you're gonna ask for anything... then it would need to do with how Jesus would ask for it or why Jesus would ask for it. Because if it doesn't bring the glory of the Father into it, it doesn't mean anything. And you see, we as a church let that heresy enter in and it became part of our vernacular. It became part of our belief system. And it's getting worse. People are reading the Bible less these days. And as Christmas comes, people have very little understanding of what's really biblical about Christmas versus what's not. I bet you if we did a survey, most people would fail. Like Santa Claus? Well, some people say, "Yeah, hey, it was Saint Nicholas, right?" And then it creates. Coca-Cola created Santa Claus, guys. That's why it's red and white. <laughs> That's where he came from. Saint Nick, great idea. But how do we get? How do we sell more Coke? Hey, let's take Saint Nick, make him look like a jolly old guy that goes with reindeers, and put our colors of our our product on, as his clothes. Great. Let's go. Marketing. I'm in marketing, so I know. (laughs) Right? But if you read the Bible and you study the Bible, you understand these things. And we go back to the scripture and we talk about this guy who in Matthew chapter 15, you see what he's referring to is when the woman came to him, and Jesus sort of, and I'm paraphrasing here, say, well, why would I give anything to dogs? And then her response says, well, even the dogs are, you know, deserve the crumbs. Well, you see, Jesus used shock sometimes to get a reaction from us. If you steal, cut off your arm. Did he, did he mean it? Like literally go cut off your arm? If your eye causes you to sin, are you to pluck them out? Because I tell you, we'd all be blind by the time we uh, got to middle, middle of the teenage years. We'd have no hands and no eyes. As Christians, I'd like to see that. So here's this guy saying that Jesus sinned by, by saying something so harsh. You've got to understand that these, this perspective is, that's so harsh and so mean that would hurt my feelings guys this is how they're talking why would Jesus hurt somebody's feelings he is the son of God he must have made a mistake we're seeing out there you see it on TV and you see it everywhere you can't say certain things because it's gonna hurt somebody's feelings And if it hurts somebody's feelings, well then, you're being mean. Even though it's a truth. Even though it's a truth. The reality is, Jesus wasn't sinning. But everybody in that congregation took what he said and ate it all up. And he says, and that makes Jesus more approachable, he said, because this is his argument. See, Jesus sinned, and then her response turned him. And Jesus, the human aspect of Jesus, realized that he was being harsh as a Jew, and he became softer in his, in his heart, and he reached out and, and blessed that woman. So here you have a pastor giving this reasoning. This makes Jesus even more approachable. He was more like us. He was more human. You see that? The Bible is giving us. Well, it completely ignores other parts of Scripture, doesn't it? Doesn't it ignore the fact that in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, or don't you know that the body is, sorry, not here. Doesn't the scripture say that Jesus was a lamb without blemish and without sin? That we have a high priest who not only knows what it's like to be human and to suffer, but went to the cross and died and now sits at the right hand of the Father And he was sinless. And because of his sinless life here on earth, he now atones for our sins. That is what scripture says. And you see, we cannot stand up strong in life. We cannot hear things that come from the world and really resist and be strong if we're not in the word. Number one, if we're not in the word if we want to stand strong in this day and age if we want to go forth in the same amount of time maybe that we spend searching youtube maybe we should take some time to search the bible the same amount of time maybe that we spend to watch a sitcom maybe we should take 30 minutes to read the bible i try to tell the youth all the time guys if you have a problem reading the bible Get Bible Gateway on your phone and it has a daily devotional. At least read one verse a day. But unless we're in Scripture, we're going to be swayed. And guess what, guys? These churches, these progressive Christian churches and these seeker-friendly churches that are moving into that direction, what they're doing is they're ignoring what scripture says and they're telling us that we need to follow our feelings. And so now the creation has replaced God and is now equating themselves as God just like in the garden. And the serpent's lie is big today as it was back then. And most Christians are eating it up. And if we don't understand what's in the Word, we cannot stand up to this. We can't. The second thing that we learned about Hanukkah is the oil. Now, let me ask you this the oil, what does that symbolize for us as Christians? The Spirit. And the Jews didn't quite know. They knew it had something to do with holiness and blessing and sanctification. But they didn't quite know as we know. But one thing that they did understand is that you cannot use defiled oil. Didn't Paul teach us that we don't fight flesh and blood, but what? Spirits and principalities of this world. And there are spirits that are trying to enter our churches. And we saw that with two churches in, in Revelation, whether either through a false prophet or through false teachings trying to enter the church. Well, the same thing is happening today. We are letting ourselves get, be defiled by spirits out there in this world that are making nice sound arguments that have no biblical foundation. None whatsoever. I was, I was actually um, watching a, uh, an, an interview between a Christian who was evangelical, conservative, and a pastor out of California, it has this huge church, and he used to be evangelical and conservative, and he became a progressive Christian And then brought his entire congregation of thousands of people over with him. And they all went in. All of them with him. Followed him. Why? Because they made him a hero. They replaced Christ with a man. And so whatever he said, they followed. And during this interview... He's talking to this other Christian. And you know what he says? He goes, thank you for not using scripture. I I almost almost fell off the couch when I I was going, what? He goes, for us really as Christians to really understand the pain of others, we can't be using scripture. Because really, the Bible as we know it Yes, it was God breathed, but once it, once it hit man and man then wrote it down, errors happened, and so we have to be careful of what's written there because it went through the, the hands of men who were imperfect. And that is why you have certain things in the Bible that don't make sense. Because if I'm of certain orientation and it hurts my feelings, then it can't be true. Then that part of the Bible doesn't count. But this part of the Bible that makes me feel good, that counts. Oh, and that part over there that doesn't make me feel good, well, that can't count either, so that's not real either. So all of a sudden, you get to basically pick and choose what you think the Bible should be. This part's okay, because I like it. That part's not okay, because I don't like it. And we're kind of giggling, but this is how these churches operate. All of them. 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching for reproof for restoration and for the training of righteousness Matthew 24.35 heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away we are undefiled because of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1.16 actually quotes Leviticus and four times in Leviticus it says this, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is calling us to be sanctified. Yes. We didn't do it on our own. We couldn't have done it on our own. We know it was Jesus Christ. But this is what Hanukkah, I believe, is teaching us as Christians. It is teaching us as Christians that we need to firmly, firmly stand in a holy walk with God. We need to firmly, firmly stand on the word of God. And it is those two things, those two things that keep us in line in our walk with God. And Hanukkah reminds the Jewish people of that the importance of the word of God and the importance of staying holy before God. And I believe that we as Christians should embrace Hanukkah as, a, as Christmas approaches because it reminds us of the miracle of what God did in multiplying when there was scarcity in giving strength against all odds. And guess what? We are against huge odds. As time goes on, we are going to become fewer and fewer. I'm telling you, we are going to become fewer and fewer. Isaiah 35, 8. What does is Isaiah 35, 8 says? And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if, the, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray and Jesus said that that highway was actually the narrow way we ha- we are tempted to sometimes want to be accepted in the world right not to be afraid to say something at work. And I'm not saying that we should push our Christianity because I tell you one thing. If you force, try to force something down somebody's throat, they're actually just going to basically rebel and shut you off. Isn't that what happened with teenagers? Well, adults are the same way. We can't force people to believe what we believe. However, there's one thing that they can't take away from us. They can't force us to live the way we want to live. They can't force you to live the way you want to live. And that is where the lights come in. You see, the Jewish people fought so that they could actually live in a way that God wanted them to live. And that is how you fight today. But not physically, but spiritually. Because we fight a spiritual battle we are the undefiled oil that can keep on going day after day after day as long as we do not allow ourselves to be defiled. And so as we approach Christmas, let's let Hanukkah remind us of our responsibility to treasure the word of God, to embrace the word of God, to read it, to delve in it, to, to make it a, a huge part of our lives, to question anything and everyone that claims something from it, to be able to discern with the truth and to walk a holy life, not a life where we, we basically want to be accepted by others, a life where we want to allow ourselves to be, you know, not Isolated and called out. Oh, that's a Christian. It was funny. I was I was at work, and uh, and I was walking. It was an after, uh, like an evening event, and um, we were walking, and and uh, we were just talking about an issue that. Had disturbed one of the people I was with, and I was walking with two people. And as we were walking, um, I said, "Well, that doesn't make sense." And they were talking about something, and I don't remember the exact details because we were going really quick. they talking about something, and it was something about with regards to how you should behave. And it was coming at that they believed that somebody who was Christian was telling them this is how we behaved. And so I said, "Well, listen." Uh, to this person, I'll just call her Ellen. That's not her real name. And I said, look, I am a Bible-thumping, every church Sunday-going Christian, and I read the Bible often. She goes, what, you? And I go, yeah, me. And I can tell you that whatever somebody said is not true. Now, I chose that moment. The Spirit gave me that moment to reveal to that person. I didn't shove it down that, their throat. But she was shocked that I would actually declare and confess that publicly in front of her. But I knew that what she was telling me wasn't true. Why? Because I know the Word of God. And if you don't know the Word of God, what would you do? Oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's true. And maybe you would have gone on in the conversation and expounded on it and then it would become your belief do you see how easy it is for a lie to perpetuate and to get into who we are internally and really twist our thinking it is so important for us as we approach Christmas and it is a feast of dedication and it is a celebration what is a celebration about Here's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that God did give us the word. We're celebrating that it is the truth. We're celebrating that it breaks chains, that it liberates, that it brings hope, that it's about love. We're celebrating that God is holy and he gave us a Holy Spirit. We are dedicating ourselves every time we come together as a church, every time we celebrate something like Christmas. We are dedicating ourselves and our church, our bodies, our lifestyle, our fellowship everything to god and as we think of hanukkah let's think of these things every year and perhaps this can be part of your tradition that as christmas approaches and you know that the jewish people are celebrating hanukkah and guess what i i, I also have been sourcing some christian jewish sites and they get it doubly they get to celebrate hanukkah and then they celebrate christmas right after And it's a beautiful thing. It is something to celebrate. Something that we should celebrate. And that is what I'm gonna ask of us today. As we close today, we need to celebrate that we have the word of God. We need to celebrate that Jesus Christ came. We need to celebrate that he gave us the Holy Spirit. And it's with the Holy Spirit and with the word of God that we can actually stay holy. And it's how we enter Christmas and we can see Christmas in a whole different way and not get caught up in all the other things that happen around or not get dismayed when people are saying things at work and saying that we should do this or do that. But we stand strong. Let us be one of the lights. As a clue for part two of the sermon, Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many if we look at the image of the menorah that middle candle that middle candle can you put that picture up that middle candle is the tallest in most of these menorahs and it's called the Shama the serving candle the serving candle and you see When Jesus was walking in the colonnade he was the serving candle bringing light into the temple. He was the Shama and they couldn't recognize it. And if they had embraced the Shama, the center candle, they could have seen the light. But they did not embrace the Shama. But you and I can embrace the Shama. And so I hope that from today onward when Hanukkah comes, we remember what it's about, what it means, what it's calling us to do. And we remember that the candle that stands up above all candles, the servant candle that we know the truth is, it was Jesus Christ walking in the colonnade in John 10:22, And in order for them to be lit up, and to have the light, they needed to embrace the Shama. And he is here. And he is asking us to dedicate ourselves. And he is asking us to continue to allow his light to light up our life on a continuous basis. And so let us stand. And let's have the band come up. Let us stand. I'm going to ask Josh to just fill this room with songs of celebration. This is a feast of dedication. And I'm calling a challenge to you, all of you, online and in here, to embrace the Word of God in a way that maybe you haven't in the past. This is a challenge to you. If you do it, keep doing it. If you haven't, start picking it up. If you're too worried about where to start, start with the Gospels. Start reading. Pray, God, show me what this word has to say. Teach me to understand the truth. And Lord, help me that your Holy Spirit would bless me and enter my life on a continuous basis, giving me strength and faith and hope. I guarantee you, with the spirit and with the word, you will be able to withstand what comes against us. Nothing will be able to topple you. As we enter Christmas, let us stand strong, and that's what Paul was talking about. You know what he was talking about, the Roman soldier? You know how many times you stand? Several. Not strike. Not retreat. Stand. That soldier was to stand. You know what he was imagining? The Roman soldiers. When you saw the Roman soldiers. Line by line. They would put shield to shield locked. And they stood. And they allowed the enemy to come at them first. But nothing could penetrate those shields. The shield of faith. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. Through the Spirit and through the Word, that is my challenge to you. So let us approach Christmas in that. And let us celebrate. Josh.